Let the children of God say amen. amen. Let the children of God say amen again. Amen. All praises, honor, and glory go to God the Father, to his Son, Jesus the Christ, the head of the living church, and to the Holy Spirit who continually comforts us all. How blessed we are to be people of God in the place of God, to learn of the promises of God so one day we can live in perpetuity with God forevermore by and by. We're thankful to those who led us in our devotional period. We're thankful always to Clyde, and we're especially thankful to Brendan on this morning. We pray that he continues in his giftedness so he can experience God's anointing truly for his life. We don't like to talk about folks' anointing. But God is so good that he gifts all of us. If only we would go and flow in our gift. The pulpit is thankful to Clyde Gray and Dr. J.W. Edmerson and one of our elders, Ron Thigpen, for taking care of the pulpit and the classroom while I was away. We want to be in prayer for the Braden family as Sister Ruth has lost another loved one and they are currently away from us on this morning. Good to see the Atkinsons back. Uh, Moses and Tina, we're so thankful for them being back and so thankful for what they mean to this congregation. Let's pray for our young people. We have several who are away in Athens, Alabama this morning for the National Youth Vocal Music Camp and pray for the many we have traveling. And we're also thankful for all of our visitors on today, especially our music festival visitors. Say amen when you can. It's amazing how our visitors in the music festival are here, but some of our members say amen when you can. And I saw them yesterday, and I saw them on Facebook, so we'll deal with that another way in another time. But we do want everyone to be cognizant that next week, for a few minutes after worship, uh, the elders and I will be giving a mid-year update as to where we stand as a congregation and we encourage all of you after service or next week to sit around for about 20 minutes as we discuss with you things that are pertinent for our congregation, its future, and its growth. Meet me quickly in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And for contextual sake, we'll tabernacle in the 19th verse. Luke chapter 16, verse number 19. When you find yourself there, let's be standing for the reading of God's holy inerrant and infallible word. Luke chapter 16, beginning there at verse number 19. Here we see Luke's hand moving as he writes and pins the words of Jesus. If you have an old-fashioned Bible that's in red, you'll note that the whole chapter is in red. Grandmama would say if it wasn't in red, then it wasn't said. So if you don't like these words of Luke, you must see them as the words of Jesus. Here Jesus speaks parabolically, and he says these words. There was a certain, underline certain, there was a certain rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and or the latest fashions, depending on your version. And this man lived in luxury and fared sumptuously, habitually, or every day. 
Some versions say that he wasted his days with conspicuous consumption. At his gate, that shows he was paid because he had a gate. At his gate was laid a certain beggar named Lazarus. Underline Lazarus. What are you going to say about Lazarus, Jesus? Nothing but the fact that he was covered with sores and longing to eat what crumbs fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Shift number two of the text. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side and all bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Shift three of the text. In hell, or Hades, in hell, where he was in torment, the rich man looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Why? Because I am tormented and are in agony in this fire. If you have some time this morning, I want to speak from the topic and look at the screen to make it more clearer. Please read the grammatical markings so you will not think that I'm saying anything explicit. Say amen when you can. <laughs> I want to speak for a few minutes from the topic, hell, question mark, no, exclamation point. Hell, question mark, Brother Barry, no, exclamation point. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, y'all know I had to do that because some of y'all going to go out here talking about what the sermon was today. You make sure that you put my grammatical markings in your gossip. Say amen when you can. Let's go to God in prayer. Devil, a kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you were, all that you are, and all that you will be as long as we keep our hand in your unchanging hand. Father, be with everyone under the sound of my voice. Father, open their minds, their hearts, their spirits, their souls, and yes, even their ears. Father, speak to me and speak through me. Father, bless us all as we sit before your throne. We are not worthy. I'm not worthy to speak a word. We're, we're not worthy to hear a word. But Father, please give us a word. Father, bless us for the meal that we're about to partake in, Father. Father, sometimes we say, give us clean hands, but right now I need a clean heart. Give me a word that will better my life, better my way, better my situation, better my outlook, better my afterlife. Father, I need you. We need you. Touch us in our broken spaces. Heal us in our broken places. Father, bless the word. Father, bless your servant. Father, bless us all as your children. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hail, no. Hail, no. Unless 
Jesus the Christ comes first. We will all experience the determining detriment of death. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 9, 27, And it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. After man's death, some will be decided to the crematorium, and for the rest of us, will be diverted to the cemetery to be escorted by six to eight men on this side of eternity just to meet one man on the other side of eternity. For those who enter the cemetery, they will be buried. But after that burial, a better question is, will you, I, and we be bonding? For to be buried in clay is ceremonial. But to be bonded with Christ is eternal. This text serves as perennial as it points to a place of pain, poignancy, and pity from the pit known as hell. This is a place known Hebraically as Sheol, presently as Hades, and futuristically as Gehenna. It's a place that proverbially permeates under the surface, a place where Fahrenheit cannot fathom and Celsius cannot calculate, a place that is practically and theatrically so hot that the presence of sweat would be a relief. But the problem is the body is no more. And there are no sweat glands on the soul. There's no alleviation, just aggravation and agony. A place of punishment for perpetuity due to one's repugnant past. And the one who is confined to this calamity, there are no mulligans and no do-overs. For everything in this life counts. Everything in this life counts. I'll preach to myself if I have to. Everything in this life counts. And if we do not correct it, everything from this life will count against us. As we rot in eternity against days that are countless. Contextually, Verses 9 and 10 of Luke's 16th chapter encapsulates the first truth, which is that the haves have an obligation to the have-nots. Somebody ought to send that word to D.C. Say amen when you can. Somebody ought to tell that word to Congress. Somebody ought to talk about health care. Why got to be taxed so much? Because the haves have an obligation to the have-nots. The second tenacious truth is that through Christ, the have-nots on earth will have more than enough, even when visually they have not. The third truth is that you can have all there is to have, but if you have not these things, then you have not nothing. The Christian, in regards to wealth, has nothing 
If they have not compassion, have not sympathy, have not empathy, have not love, have not mutual affection, have not brotherly kindness. The fourth truth for our consideration and our elucidation is that hell is not just received for what we do do, but also for what we don't do. Oh, there's some preaching in this place you don't even know it yet. Hell is not just reserved and received for what we do do, but also for what we don't do. All of these truths will braid themselves together as we speak toward the intricacies and contrasting fallacies about hell. Hell is not just a place for the drinker and the smoker and the sexually immoral and the homosexual. Yes, it might be for them, but here it's for him. More perfectly, us. Because hell is even for the cruel and the callous, the stingy and the stank. Verse 19. Luke 16, Jesus serving in a parabolic fashion. Says, all right, Pharisees, you're not understanding what I'm saying. Let me tell you a parable. What's a parable, Jeremy? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There was, King James says, a certain rich man. Understand, this man has no name because his name was not to be the thing indicted, but rather it's his mentality that's up for indictment. Notice the text is careful when it says a certain rich man, for not all rich men are to be found guilty. Let me tell you this, nor is it a crime to be rich wealthy or financially secure. The problem comes when we find our security in our money and lose common sense for common sense. Some of y'all miss that. You'll catch it when you get home. We lose our common sense for some common for it's not this man's money that condemned him, but rather his mindset. Here Jesus parabolically purports that I'll take what gives you earthly power, money, and use it to bring you to a place where your money has no value, the afterlife. This text therefore valiantly emphasizes that his outward value means nothing because he has an inward void. Church. No matter what you and I use as our cover, whether it be money, whether it be beauty, you can't put on enough Mac or Mary Kay or Avon. Whether it be youth, well, I got time. I'm too young to die. I'm too pretty to die. I'm too toned to die. No matter what we use as our cover, there will come a time when we will all stand proverbially naked before the throne of God 
And without repentance and fruit that comes from repentance, we will all be fit for the fire. Now, I know we don't like talking about fire and brimstone and hell and today. Jeremy, this is 2017. We don't want no sermons about hell. We don't want no sermons about damnation and condemnation. We want hope and peace and joy and love and heaven. But you can't understand how beautiful heaven is until you understand how repugnant hell is. And the reality is we got some hell in us. If not check, will send us to hell. And therefore, we need somebody to preach the hell out of us. Now, if you don't like it, meet me in my office. Say amen when you can. I don't want to talk about no hell. Understand the fact, this man, bad preacher, he was dressed in clothes and purple and fine linen. Purple, the color of royalty. The extreme of what we would evaluate as expensive, especially due to its extraction. Purple dye at this time had to come from a fish or a sea snail, and they would take the fish and cut open one particular vein that would drain out a small amount of purple dye, and then they would take a colorless garment and dip it in this dye all the way so that it would be purple through and through. Imagine how much dye and how many fish and how expensive it would be to extract all this purple for this man just to wear purple, but not wear purple on a special day, but every day. This man was rich. He was paid. And not only did he wear purple, but he wore fine linen. This speaks to his undergarments, which means he was rich with his overgarments and his undergarments. While Lazarus is proverbially seen as naked or scantily clad in ragtag apparel. His wealth was deeply manifested in his garment outwardly and inwardly. But the problem with the rich man was something that he could not cover with clothes. For he was rich outwardly and poor inwardly. While he exudes his wealth consciously, he fails to enrich his own conscience. He lived in luxury. He fared sumptuously every day. Why put this here, Jesus? Because he's trying to prove a point to the Pharisees. What are you trying to tell me? As a Pharisee, the Pharisees loved money. They loved attention. They loved looking the part without being the part. You know some folk like that? They come with Stacy Adams every Sunday, but they act more like Stacy Adams than Jesus Christ. His point to them was money is not the sin. Right, that's man's mentality to money. Why? Because money is a tool. Commercial break. Money is a tool which is not to be used just to better oneself, but to give glory to God. Don't you know your money is meant to give glory to God? It's temporary. You can't take it with you, and if you turn around, it'll be taken from you. So while you have it, it's to be used for the glory of God. We give God glory with our money when we give to his house and we uplift our fellow man. All money is God's money for God's service. To uplift all people who are made in the image of God. 
And if you don't use God's money for God's purposes, God will take away your money. This man's impending damnation wasn't about his opulence, but rather his opportunity. Everybody saw you, but nobody saw me. The problem was not that he was rich, but rather that he was reckless. He wasted his days with conspicuous consumption. Repeated exuberance. This was not a casual passing by of a roadside panhandler. This was not a one-time omission from contributing to the food bank. This was a constant neglect to show deeds inconsistent with one's faith. Understand you and I, unlike the rich man, yes, we have faith, but our faith means nothing if we do not have coordinating and continuing deeds. Not just for giving away money, but giving away love, giving away kindness, giving away compassion. Some of us are just so cruel, so funky, and so silly active. That wasn't in my notes, but it fit right there. We don't care about nobody but ourselves. And then we say stupid stuff. That was my inner Ron Wright. We say stupid stuff. Like, man, that's their problem. Well, if they would just do what I did. Some of us have a good forgettery and a bad memory. I pulled my own self out the ghetto. If they would just pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. This is my money for my house. We all make decisions in life. Yes, all that may be true. Our job is to go above carnality into Christianity. And Christianity says, yes, they made a bad decision. Now I'm going to make the decision to help them, to love them, to care for them. It might be their problem, but if they're my brother and sister, it's now my problem. Understand the fact. This was a constant neglect to fulfill the needs of others even though it's God that fulfills our every need. It was a constant waste knowing there were people who were in want. It was a constant favoring of favoritism and indulging only people who look like us, walk like us, talk like us, are educated like us. How many of us are like that? See, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Jesus stepped out of Christology and dealt with carnality. I'm glad he was a doctor to the sick and a deliverer to the damned and sustenance to those who needed subsidation. I'm glad he touched the untouchable and reached the unreachable so that you and I would know what to do and where to go. And then some of us are still so ignorant, even in 2017, we say, well, I wish Jesus would just tell us what to do and how to do it and who to reach. I wish he would just tell us how to deal with them. He did. He said reach everybody and love them. Love them like a mother. Love them like a daughter. Love them like a sister. Love them like a brother. Love them like a father. Touch them. Who? Them? Yes, them. Touch them. If for no other reason, because I touched you. Give to them because I give to you. This was an erupting epitaph of elevation over empathy. 
and cruelty over coalescence. And here we identify with he who harbors and harnesses the hierarchy of the haves and the have-nots. That's why I'm so glad to be in Christ. This is the only place where there should not be haves and have-nots. This should be the only place where we're not declared based upon our degrees. This should be the only place where we're not identified by what we have or what we mean. This should be a place where we all know that we're all the same and we're all in sin and we all need a savior and we all sit before the feet in the presence of God. This is the one place. Why don't have to worry about pressure from the job? I gotta be like somebody else. It's the one place I won't get passed over. It's the one place I shouldn't be talked about. It's the one place I shouldn't be afraid to go. It should be the one place I feel safe. Verse 20. I didn't got too happy too early. Verse 20. In verse 20 it says, at his gate that shows some prominence. Also, it shows that every time the rich man arrived or departed from his residence, Lazarus was there. God is merciful and hell is reserved for us over our repeated sin and negligence. God is good because while he's a disciplinarian, he's not an abuser. Disciplinarian because I told you not to do it, and then you did it, and you keep on doing it. Now you get what you got because you got what you get. This man was not innocent. Not only was he cruel and callous, he did it over and over and over again. This man was at his gate. He was laid there, better read, cast there, thrown there. He didn't have no money, so he was not conveyed smoothly. He was crippled. He was thrown there, so he paid people. Crippled. Am I talking to some crippled folk this morning? who barely got here, some crippled folk. Yeah, I know your legs are fine, but your mind is not. Crippled folk, your feet are fine, but your spirit is not. Somebody's spirit has been broken, even this week. And you barely made it here. Yes, you might be fine physically, but you're crippled spiritually. Am I talking to some crippled folk on this morning? And all you got enough strength to do now that you barely got here is sit at the gate. And you're here, you're praying for hope. You're praying for healing. You're praying for a breakthrough. I know God will help me, but will you help me? Well, you know, sister, just pray on it. God's a God of help. But what are you? Wait on the Lord. The Lord sent you. God's a God of comfort. I know that. Where's your shoulder? Call him up and tell Jesus what the problem is. What, is your phone broke?
this ain't in my notes, but it fits right here. Some of us want Christianity without responsibility. You know we got elders. We got two. They're 250, y'all. We want Christianity without responsibility. Call Doc up. Call you up. Who am I going to call? Oh, I wish I had a church in here. Can't call none of y'all. Because Christianity has responsibility. Some of us are crippled just like this man and we're sitting at the proverbial gate barely made it to church and I know God will help me, but will you help me? Why are you going to help me? Because I might be poor. I might be sick. I might be having a rough marriage. Real talk. I might have a real addiction in my life. I might be suffering with grief and loss. I might have misdirection or lack of affection. Can I look to you for help, my brother, my sister, my friend? Well, you got here just fine. I might have drove a Lexus up in here. I might have a three-piece suit on up in here. But I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I'm crippled. I'm sick. Why can't I find anybody to help me? And just like the rich man, some folk in this church will drive on the parking lot every day and drive off the parking lot every day and all they're looking for, if anything at all, is help for themselves but won't give help to somebody else. It's quiet in here. I'm not just talking about giving money to folk. Hello? So some of y'all who want money, don't take this as a sermon to get money. If you feel guilty, I'm talking about you. There's so much more to give than money. I want to share for you. Share with you. I want to care for you. I want to love you. I want to hear you. I want to comfort you. There's so many more things more valuable than money, but how many of us really care? And if we don't care, you'll see how we fare. This man, this beggar's name was what? Lazarus. This is the only time in any parable that a person has a name. Only time. Every other parable is a certain money lender. Okay? It's a prodigal son. It's a caring father. This is the only parable. And the last parable of this chapter that Jesus says, I'm going to put a name on a man. And his name is going to be what? Lazarus. Not to be confused with the brother of Mary and Martha, who he raised from the dead. But rather this Lazarus was used to raise awareness to our conscience that nobody is to be overlooked. It's our job to do right right now. Give me some script where they live. I'm so glad you asked. Galatians 6 and 10, therefore as we have what? Opportunity. Stop giving the folk what you ain't got. As we have opportunity. Do good to all men, what? especially those in the household of faith. I say to my notes, but as you have opportunity. Folk coming to you for money, you ain't got no money, you're giving them, their last, you're giving them your last, that's not what God necessarily is talking about. You're going to have opportunity. And some folks need to stop going to folk who don't have opportunity. 
give to all men, especially those in the household of faith. Nothing wrong with the American Red Cross. Nothing wrong with Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity or whatever fraternity you give to. Nothing wrong with the NAACP. But if we can't give to our own, how dare we give to everybody else? And that's not just money, though it does sit there. That's time. That's talent. If your frat or sorrow calls you, tells you to be somewhere for four hours, you'll jump at the chance to volunteer for them. But if your leadership asks you to do something for the church, well, you know I'm busy, Doc. You know I got this and this and this and this. That one in my notes, but it felt good right there. That's all right. Y'all can look at me crazy if you want to. Now, it says, his name was Lazarus. Why is Lazarus important? Because Lazarus means, from the Greek, God helped or God helps. What you mean, Jeremy? How can God help him? He's in poverty. He's sick. He's obviously alone. Understand that God helps even in poverty. Because even the impoverished have provision through him. God helps in sickness because even the sick have a doctor and life through him. God is a helper no matter what state or condition we find ourselves in. That's going to deepen your faith right there. No matter what state or condition, God is still a helper. If you can still breathe in oxygen and exchange it for carbon dioxide, God is a helper. If you can still put one foot in front of another, and if you can't do that, if you got two wheels for a wheelchair, God is still a helper. You might not be living where you want to live, but there's a roof over your head, even if, a sh if it's a shelter, God is still a helper. No, you can't go to Nordstrom's, but there's a consignment shop. God is a helper. Has anybody been helped by God? Whether it be poverty or sickness or loneliness. Because poverty, sickness, and loneliness is a position and not a punishment. Not only is it not a sin to be rich, it is not a sin to be poor. Stop treating the poor as if they've done something. Hello? Because half of us been poor, and half of us are a paycheck away from being poor again. Being in poverty is a position, not a punishment. Ah, if you don't have enough money, stop walking with your head down. Stop crying everywhere. God is still there. God is still helping. God is still healing. It's a position, not a punishment. There's somebody who may be in their senior years, and you say, back in the younger years, I made lots of money. I could do this, and I could do that, but now I can't do what I used to do, and now I got to live on a fixed income, and it's hard for me. Why is God treating me like this? He's not treating you any kind of way. It's a position, and not a punishment. Preach flowers, I think I will. But the blessing is, if our position is not positive, then our position does not have to be our perpetuity. 
because I know that there's a place after this in the afterlife and I'm trying to live herein so I can go therefore into the hereafter. For I know I won't be poor in heaven. I know I won't be sick in heaven. I know I won't be depressed in heaven. I know I won't be suicidal in heaven. I know I won't struggle with my sexuality in heaven. I know that regardless of where I find myself, that one day I can go somewhere else and be somewhere else with somebody who loves me. And as much as I love you on earth, I don't want to go where you go. I want to go where he is. God's prepared me for a place of no pain, no ills, no bills, no politics, no threats, no temptation, no liars, no gossip, no haters, no heartbreak or headache or hell. Understand, you may be afflicted this morning, but God is still your help. Why does this text, Jeremy, spend so much time on Lazarus? Because there's someone deeper than Lazarus in this text. If you go here or if you're visiting, every time a preacher says something, you better be able to see Jesus in that text. Every time he says something, you better be able to see God in that text. See, you see Lazarus. I see Jesus. I see Jesus speaking of himself as the subject, Lazarus, and as the solution toward heaven. We'll talk about that tonight. Jesus was a man who was poor on earth. You see Lazarus, I see Jesus. Jesus was one, though he was poor on earth, he was rich in righteousness. You see Lazarus, I see Jesus. His glory was in a proverbial heaven. You see Lazarus, I see Jesus. He was soon to be afflicted with many wounds. You see Lazarus, I see Jesus. Few people would care about him, though he's sitting there hanging and bleeding. And, oh, you see Lazarus, I see Jesus. But Lazarus here was full or covered with sores. Notice after Lazarus' name, Jesus don't say nothing about Lazarus, but that. He was covered in sores. No resume, no dossier. This is his name. This is his problem. I'm so glad that Jesus can identify me as my problem. This is his name. This is his problem. I don't care if he's a minister at Gray Road. It don't matter. Here's his name. Here's his problem. I don't care about Chandler's credentials. I see a person and a problem and I bring a solution. Was covered in sores. Some would say covered in ulcers. Could you imagine this man as he's identified by his infirmity? It takes a real savior to look past one's stabs and bring forth surrender. Imagine this man fully covered and ulcers. Imagine the pus, an obligatory smell that will come from a man who perceivably has more sores than skin. 
begging the public at the gate. Verse 21, as he sits there day after day, he's longing and desiring to eat what falls from the rich man's table. Your scraps are enough to meet the nutritional obligation to the middle class. I would be happy just eating your trash. And keep in mind, at this time in antiquity, we're not talking about people who have napkins and paper products. When I soil my face, I'll use scraps of bread to wipe away the soiling of my face. I'll take your trash and I'll even eat what you use to wipe away the food from your face and your saliva, I would eat it just to have it. This is the same phraseology that's used in the prodigal son, where he wishes he was back home just to have food because he's tired of fighting the pigs over the pots. Same thing. Don't forget this phraseology is coming back in the text. Longing to eat. I just want it. If I can just have a little bit, I'll be okay. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. I would fight the dogs for the food, but I'm crippled. So I can't. So what eats what I want to eat then has dessert by coming and lick on me. But at least they got some compassion. Some dogs act better than some humans. See, this ain't ain't when dogs are man's best friend. Dogs are repulsive. They ran around wild. But at least they show me some comfort and concern. At least they stop. At least they lick me. But as you as you Christians, who won't even stop and care and show concern? Ethan, verse number twenty-two. So in verse number twenty-two, after it gives this long dossier about Lazarus and the rich man, here comes the common denominator. The time came. All of us, the time is going to come. Granted, he used to say there'll be singing and flower bringing. The time will come. If Jesus does not confess, time will come. Now, the, the, the issue here is we don't know when time is running out. This time is not going up, it's going down. So I don't care if you're 21, 31, 41, 71, 81, 91. The time will come. When the beggar dies, everybody, everybody's going to die. No matter how well you eat, no matter how much you work out, you can watch every news story because every, every finish, there's always something causing cancer. Well, don't drink coffee, drink tea. Coffee causes cancer. You drink all the tea you want to, tomorrow tea causes cancer. Look at 10 o'clock. Now you got to drink coffee. Okay, well, I stopped doing that. Now I'm eating tomatoes. Not big tomatoes, but great tomatoes. Now I'm eating great tomatoes. Now something else causes Everything seems to cause cancer. But guess what? Everybody is going to die. What happened to the rich man, rather the poor man? The angels came and carried him. To who? To who? Or some versions say bosom. 
Ah, if I had time, I said there's a blessing in the bosom. To Abraham, it's important here, because you're talking to a Jewish audience. He's seen as their father. Many times when they're debating with Jesus the Pharisees, they say, well, Abraham is our father. What you mean that you came from the father? It's amazing how, because remember, though we're in Luke, Jesus ain't died yet. So though we're in a New Testament book, we're still in an Old Testament time. Because blood formulates a testament. Blood has not been shared. So I say we're still Old Testament. I say, uh uh, we in Luke. I know that. We're still in the Old Testament. So carry to Abraham, because for the audience, that's their father. He was carried to the father's side. Ah, when I die one day, I want to go to the father's side. Jesus is talking for his audience. Abraham's side, even the poor, the sick, the lonely, the depressed, the oppressed, you still have a chance, I still have a chance to sit at the father's side. People looked at him, walked past him, at him, probably told jokes about him, but God saw him. And there's somebody in this church who feels that they don't see me here, they don't even care that I'm here, don't nobody understand my problems. We might not, but God still does. And if you live right and die right, you can still lay next to the father's side. Somebody better than Abraham. I can still be with my father. Now notice, the rich man also died. Common denominator. And he what? Buried. The poor man just died. The rich man died and was buried. Of our Mississippi, he was buried. Some of y'all missed that. Okay, now. Meaning he had a funeral. He had a funeral. Lazarus seemingly didn't even have enough money to have a funeral. They just carried him away. Putting him proverbially in a potter's field somewhere. This man was buried in presumable opulence. You know those good funerals. With the ivory casket. The best singers. The lies being told. See, some of y'all been to funerals. I've been to funeral lies. Say amen when you can. I know a eulogy means to speak well of the dead, but some folk be stretching. You ever been to a funeral where they be stretching? Okay. And then I, I love when I, when I open people's programs at funerals and they have these beautiful poems. But then there's always one that talks about, well, they go down front and sashay down there and make comments. I know she's in a better place. Meet her at her new address. How you know where her new address is? Yes, heaven is a house, but hell is a large estate. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. And let me tell you this, there are more folk going to hell than going to heaven. Even up in here. I ain't talking about you, talking about me. I'm trying not to go to hell. The rich man died 
man was buried. Hurry up, flowers. Let these folk go. They don't like this type of preaching. It's all right. When the rich man was buried, shift three, and we'll close for this morning. Come back on tonight. I ain't coming for no hell sermon. That's all right. right, Verse number 23. It's important here before we talk about hell. Look at the juxtaposition between Lazarus and the rich man. It shows us, number one, God's ultimate justice. When somebody does you wrong, they may not get it publicly, they can get it privately. They may not get it here, but they show enough. If they don't correct it, we'll get it there. That's why the Lord say, vengeance is mine. Say the Lord, well, I don't know how they could do me like that, and they still sit up there in church every Sunday. Don't worry about that. God is just. Well, my supervisor, she did me wrong. She shouldn't be working here. Don't worry about that. I'm just. I have the ultimate say. I have the ultimate judge. Sometimes I let people stay where they are, even though they do you wrong, to test how much you have faith in me and believe in me. I wish they would just get sick and die. No. I'm going to leave them around here so they can constantly test you and tempt you so I can see how strong you are because you finally put your strength in my hands and because I am strong, then you'll be strong and I'll deal with them. If not now, I'll deal with them later. Rich man stayed rich, stayed in his house, had a good funeral. (laughs) It's funeral, but funeral, had a good funeral. But guess what? In hell. In hell. In hell. The only time you say that in church, say amen. In hell or Hades. Fact time we'll talk, Dr. Emerson, about uh, Hades and Sheep and Gehenna and Tatars. I don't have time for that, but I need you to understand one thing. Hell is immediate. Torment is immediate. See, some of us believe that we will live this life, no matter how we live it, then we'll go to a waiting place where everything will just be static, and time will just go on, then judgment will come, and we'll explain what we did and why we did it. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. Judgment is not call and response. It's not going to be a back and forth. The facts of the case already are. That's why judgment says what? The book shall be open. I don't need you to say nothing. Everything's already in the book. Judgment is only a sentence. From a contextual standpoint, hell is immediate. Now, yes, it's a waiting place of Hades, but from a contextual standpoint, as we look at this text, there's a place of comfort and a place of calamity. Because both of these folk are in Hades. But they got two different experiences. Which means soon as we die, soon as our eyes close for the last time, afterlife begins. Your carcass We'll go to the funeral. But you're already somewhere else. They'll roll you out of a hospital or nursing home wherever you die. And they're going to put your carcass in a bag. But your soul from that time 
It's a meat. It's real. In hell or in Hades, he was there in what? Not only is hell immediate, hell is excruciating. It hurts. It's painful. When? As soon as you die. As soon as you die. Well, well you know, I'm only a few steps away from death. You better get it right. It hurts. See, it's amazing this text says hell is something you can feel. It's not just somewhere you go. It's something you feel. It's fire. It's amazing because some texts say it's a lake of fire. Do you know how hot it has to be for it to be liquefied torment? Remember fifth grade science, we talked about the crust and the mantle and Earth's core? 10,000, you're right, 10,800 degrees. You all right with me, sister? 10,800 degrees? That's hot. And that's just the heat that we know about as humans. That's what. Here we're taught, don't put your hand on the stove, it's hot. There we gonna know that it's hot. And there won't be any relief. The time of mercy is now. The time of pity is now. When it's over, don't call me for no mercy and pity. You had your chance. Right, let me rush to this. So the text says, the rich man looked up, saw Abraham far away. With who? Lazarus by his side. They both went to Hades. Immediately. Somebody was in comfort. Somebody was in torment. If you close your eyes tonight, how are you going to spend your turn? Verse number 24. In verse number 24, here goes the indignant rich man as he's in pain, excruciating and torment. Father Abraham, listen up. Have pity on me. And... Send who? Hold on, homie. I'm sorry. How you know me? See, 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 this text was not just two ships passing in the night. He knew his name and still ignored him. He didn't say, send that stranger over here. Send Lazarus. I know him. He sat at my gate every day. All them swords had the dogs out there licking on them. Talking about he was hungry. I know him. How sad is it to pass by folk you don't know? But how sad is it to not care for folk you do know? And folk you should love. That's like a church point. But I ain't got time. Send Lazarus to do what? Dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Now, not only, you know, see, see, in today's time, we'll say, keep your name out my mouth. Yeah. How dare you, after I sat there all them years with all these lacerations, come calling my name, and then you want me to serve you? Almost said something else. Please! 
keep, your, keep my name out your mouth, number one. Number two, how you want me to serve you? You must still think that you're rich. You must not have heard. Oh, look around your new residence. Right now, you need me. We'll talk more about that tonight. Right now, you need me to do what? Oh, Lazarus, just dip the tip of your finger in water and cool my tongue. Sound like you're longing for something, rich man? I'm longing for just scraps from your table. My stomach ate, it burned, it growled. Now you know how it feels. But I was a human then. And no matter how long human heartache lasts, it only lasts for a little while. But what you're dealing with right now, rich man, it's going to last all the while. Just put a tip, get, get a drop of water, put it on my tongue. It's so hot, it's so excruciating, it's so tormenting that just relief for a moment will change my life. No. But hold on, I'm in agony in this what? Fire. But in verse number 25 explains it, and I promise you I'm done. Abraham said, hold on, wait a minute. You had good things in your life. Lazarus had bad things in his life. Now you are where you are and he is where he is. Verse 26. Then he said, there's another problem. There's a chasm or a great gulf that's been fixed. You can't come over her and we can't go over there. We put it in the north and the south, that kind of happens. You can't come over her, here, over there. Not only are we protected from your callousness, but you're protected from our helpfulness. Because even if I had compassion upon you, I can't do nothing for you. It's a lesson for Jeremy. It's a lesson for us. I don't care how old you are. Every day you live, you're closer to the grave. But we should stop fearing the grave. Because when you get to the grave, you ain't going to be there. You ought to fear the last time you close your eyes. And the last time you close your eyes, maybe the next time you close your eyes. Are you in a right place with God? Are you in a right space with God? Hell? No. That's not where I want to go. That's not where I want to go. But as long as you live, you can change your position. As long as you live, you can change your condition. It does not have to be this way. Brendan, I guess you're doing invitation songs. You can come on down here. It does not have to be this way. Because Clyde walked out the door. Now, hell does not have to be the end. It's a sad state of affairs when man has chances they don't take. Ah, a great chasm. I love my mama. I love my daddy. I love my brother. I love my sister. I love my friend. But I can't live for them. Because they're already beginning what they've worked for. 
for the what? Wages of sin is death. How did it up in hell? You worked for it. Can I tell you something else? I promise you. Ah, ah. When the rich man asked Lazarus for a, drip, a drop of water, notice he didn't ask questions like, why am I in hell? Because he knew. He didn't say, hold up, why me? He knew. He didn't say, look, I understand where I am. Can you help me? When this life ends, see, you can lie to me, you can lie to us, you can't lie to him. When it's over and the eyes closed, before the doctor declares you as dead, you know where you are, and you want to ask why you're there, and you're going to be there, and can't nobody help you. And if can't nobody help you, then how about you help yourself now? Let's be standing and not singing. Let's be standing and not singing. Oh, how sad to face the judgment, unprepared to meet thy God. Let me edit that. Oh, how sad to close my eyes one more time, unprepared to meet my God. There is soon and shortly to be a meeting. Are you ready for that meeting? If you have a job and you meet at your job, you work indefatigably to be ready for a meeting. If you go to school and they're going to meet with you, you work surely and hardly to be ready. But some of us are not ready to meet God. And how unfortunate is that? I'm talking to everybody in here, Jeremy first. Life is too short, eternity is too long, and hell is too high. This is a sermon for the young people, middle-aged folk, and the senior citizens. Especially for my seniors. You've lived too long and drawn too close. And see, some, some of us, some of y'all, some of us, some of y'all, whoever you want to call it, got stuff, hatred, envy. We got stuff in our lives. We can't let go. We can't forgive. Is it worth hell? Is it worth fire, excruciating, immediate stuff? I can say everything flowery about you at your funeral, and it won't mean a dime. Because while I'm saying she was good, she was caring, you're saying, Jeremy, stop lying on me. I'm, I'm in fire. I know you're eloquent, but, but I need some alleviation. Preacher, elder, deacon. If tonight's the last night, you don't have to be 75. You can be 15. If you're not prepared to meet God, will you come down front?